Uh, hey, listeners, before we begin this episode, Kevin and I just want to say, if you like movie talk, we stumble into a good 10 minutes of movie talk at the end of this episode. So uh, stick around to check that out. It might, it might be the birth of another sub podcast within our podcast. Right, yeah, Kevin? We, we spend a long time talking about the X-Men and then a long time reading emails and then more time. If, if we this should. podcast was too short for you, we get off into a digression discussing movies we've seen, both good and bad. Yeah, and I call you, a re- I, I make reference to you as an improviser friend of ours that our audience doesn't know. So, uh, yeah. you know, if you really want to feel left out uh, and off topic, stick around to the end of this episode and boy, oh boy, do we have a treat for you. Oh, if you're that improviser too, we're not going to say who he is. Listen to see if you're the improviser that we name at the There's end. There's no way that the improviser I mentioned yeah, would no, ever listen to our podcast or maybe anybody's podcast. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's the episode. Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, and I mean comic books, everybody. This is the only podcast in the history of recorded mankind where two people discuss a thing they like, and that thing is comic books. Uh, In this case, those two people involve me and my brother and fellow kind of comedian and fellow comic book lover. Uh, My name is Kevin Hines. And my name is Will Hines. Yeah. Um, Hey, Will, we're, we're nearing the end of what we decided will be the end of our award winning world famous mutants and mailbag series i wonder how the world this is can... like the end of like oh, sorry yeah this is like the end of like breaking bad or sopranos or Mad Men. like everyone is waiting on bated breath for how we will end this series i feel like um you know this is going to be the thing that finally takes the spotlight away from the death of the queen is going to be you and me no longer yeah. covering uh claremont's x-men it's already getting a lot of 24-hour news coverage. Um, and the nice thing about it is it's sort of um, both sides are really interested in it. It's got Fox News and MSNBC are both calling oh, they're all over it constantly. Yeah, they're all over it. Yeah. Ben Shapiro won't stop doing little trolley tweets trying to get us to yeah. say what we think about these issues, which I'm I mean, like, just listen have, to the episodes. They each have their angles, you know, on how they're mm-hmm. covering it, but they're all covering it. It's interesting to everybody. So... That's how you know you've broken through and just sort of everybody is interested in how you're going to end it. And I keep saying it's like, we're, we're just going to cover the issue 200. Yeah, that's like, there's, yeah, no, yeah. there's no mystery. Yeah, there's no big review. I mean, the plot of our podcast is just the plot of the comic books that came out in the 80s. Yeah, if you've gotten just invested in the stories that we're summarizing, those are available to you. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do with it, but it's nice. It's nice for the attention, I guess. Kevin Feige is texting me like crazy. He said he's on the edge of his seat. I'm like, Kevin, there's no plot here. It's just us covering issues. Yeah, it's like, shouldn't you be more spending more time like casting your new Fantastic Four movie or or figuring out what you're going to do with the X-Men in, in the MCU versus had, what Chris Claremont wrote? I asked we him talking about. I asked him about that and he said not as important. Not as important. I mean, I don't think either thing is truly in the realm of actual importance, but for his job, I think the movies are more important. That is his job. I think so, too. I think he's being insane. Oh, well, I mean, look, I don't run Disney. No, I don't have to worry about what he's doing, I guess. It's not our responsibility. 
Uh, well, uh, Kevin, uh, what we're doing this episode, and Kevin Feige, who's listening, sure. um, we're doing issues 195, 196, and 197 of The Uncanny X-Men. Yeah, we're, we're talking more Chris Claremont. We're talking more John Romita Jr. We're talking more Wolverine and Wolverine and Wolverine. Yep, and uh, Rachel Summers and Professor X. Oh, uh, I was I mean, just I was referring to you thinking of everyone as Wolverine again. Oh, I don't, I, I didn't catch that. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, we're talking about the whole team, the the current team of X Men. We also got some uh, less New Mutants in these issues than we've had recently. The least, but plenty yeah. of Beyonder. Yeah, this is during the Secret Wars two crossover, which, I mean, I read when it came out. I have no memory of what that's about other than like the beyonders on earth, like walking around learning what it's like to be a human. Yeah. I can barely remember anything about secret wars too. Isn't, isn't I don't, that funny? I like, don't, I don't remember how it ends. I don't remember like what the, I remember like lots of is. little, a couple con, little details, but I don't remember like, yeah, like it just seems like he's walking around like a pest, not in my memory, not like as a thing you needed to worry about. Yeah. I remember Spider-Man taught him how to go to the bathroom. And I, I remember, remember that building to gold. I mean, that's one of the most famous things about Secret Wars, too. I'm not even joking. Is that Spider-Man took him out for hot dogs on a hot dog cart. And then uh, Beyonder didn't understand what was going on with his body. And Spider-Man had to teach him how to go to the bathroom. That is Secret Wars, too. I remember the building being turned to gold. That's it. Yeah, that that's that was a cool story. Um, Yeah, anyway, but Beyonder shows up a little bit in these stories. And I, I don't quite get it, but he's there. Doesn't really impact it too much, though. That's nice. I mean, right around the same time of the Beyonder, the Beyonder is an all-powerful being who, in Secret Wars 1, sets up just, like, mm-hmm. heroes versus villains master fight. And here, he's just chilling. But he is, like, an all-powerful being who presumably can do anything. So you got him in Secret Wars, and then you got Dr. Manhattan in Watchmen, two sort of omnipotent characters who emerged at the same time in their respective comics and mythologies. One of them, Dr. Manhattan, has become a legendary character who's often used and memed and quoted and has had a huge impact. And then you got the Beyonder who learned how to go to the bathroom. Yeah, and you think the main reason is because the Beyonder didn't talk about watches as much? Is that what made Dr. Manhattan so cool? Yep. If, okay. uh, if Beyonder talked more about pocket watches and showed his junk, <laughs> I think he would have. Uh, I think he would have shot to the top. So comics code's fault again. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Shooter wanted to show Beyonder's junk. I heard. Oh, it's famous. He was storming through the office. Like, hey, if uh, I should, you know, if I'm wrong about showing the Beyonder's junk, then how come I got a story published when I was 14? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, what do you think of these uh, issues? Uh, I've been. I mean. I've enjoyed I enjoyed these as much as I've enjoyed the last six or so that you have had a, a roller coaster of emotions on. Like I found these all pretty good. I found these pretty good as well. Um, they're I mean we, we're not getting the highs of the best of Claremont, but we're not getting the lows in my mind of the worst of Claremont. This is like a pretty consistent run under the John Romita era. It is, and I actually think these three are the best of the past nine that we've read. Uh, the you know. There was three issues which were like Manhattan's gone back in time to Conan O'Brien era. Right, Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien era. 
and yeah. it was too confusing late, for me late to... night conan o'brien right it was not oh, yeah. a tonight show or, or 12 30 a.m yeah yeah robert smigel conan o'brien and uh you know i was too confusing for me too many characters then we had three uh issues that were sort of a new mutant esque, but no avengers and i liked it a little better and now these three issues i liked even better Okay, I find I I don't find the quality to have changed much throughout the entirety of this. I like this first issue we're going to talk about because I'm a Power Pack fan, mm-hmm. uh, so I really enjoyed this issue. It's just more of a Power Pack story than an X Men story. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but I like Power Pack, so that doesn't necessarily bother me. Um, and then the next two issues, yeah, again, like it, it all feels uh, pretty good. <laughs> a hot. Yeah, hot, I think you're scorching take. It's another it's, hot like, scorching take. We are. Our opinion is it's right down the middle. Um, uh, I think it, it, it's also weird. Like, I think it is consistent and it's good and it's still high quality. Like, I imagine if I was reading this at the time, I would have been like, uh, well, I was again, I think I was a little too young to maybe enjoy it as much. But if like a 15 year old me was reading this or 14 year old me, um, but no younger or older. Um, I probably would have loved this. I probably would have thought these were great issues. And I think it's consistent. And it's weird that we're dropping off when the consistency is I know, really I, very strong. I was just thinking that like we're kind of settling into a nice run and we're bailing. Like it probably does stay good for a while. But we are. But, but we've, we've read over 100 issues and we want to do something else. I do think I'd rather get out before. It gets to a point where you, yeah. you and I are both like, oh, it's kind of a drag to read these. I don't want it to become homework. I want to remember this run as being like, oh, that was a great, I mean, a hundred issue great run is w- better than Fantastic Four because Fantastic Four wasn't this enjoyable for a hundred issues. That's true. There, um, the the lows like 60, of FF are pretty low. I'd say 60 issues of FF I really enjoyed. Um, yeah. Uh, but this is like a hundred issues where like, for me, honestly, other than the brood saga that I bring up all the time, like the lows were like, eh, this issue was confusing or the annuals weren't that good. But if that's my knock, it's not that bad a knock. Well, we'll talk we'll talk more about our like our overall our overall views maybe maybe when we when we wrap this up. But um Ugh, in the big C- series finale. Ugh, I hope Feige's happy with it. Um yeah, so let's just talk about issue one ninety five. So this is a power pack issue, and we should the... talk a little bit about power pack just okay. in general. You you do that. What's power pack? I don't know. Oh, um, well, cool. You, I'm surprised you're fans of them. You you yeah. said you were a fan of. I don't them. get them. I I like the mystery. It's like a it's like the law. Lo- it's like lost. No, that's like, not what, what is their pack. deal. No, no. What is that's... their deal? Are they robots? Are no. they aliens? Are they they're, angels? They're, they're... What's happening here? And everything. I, like, in I know is... the the answer won't be as satisfying but it's like ooh, it's intriguing what is the, what is power pack yeah is it a thing no uh power packer has four kids who get, get superpowers that. that's no, that's that, your that's your take no that's that's a fact it, it is undeniable <laughs> power pack is four siblings who get superpowers uh from an alien who's maybe dying i forget but like he was dying he died he died and he gives them powers and also like a spaceship or something like that. And I don't actually, I don't actually remember the details of the origin, but yeah, like uh, 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 an alien that looks like a horse gives them superpowers and costume. I mean, I don't know if he gives them costumes. I think the spaceship gives them the costumes, the spaceship. They only have temporarily the spaceship kind of comes and goes, but they get these powers and they go off on adventures. Um, and their powers, I think are really cool. 
Yeah, one of the things I do love about Power Pack, uh, well, the first thing is, which you've said before when we've talked about them, is how truly young they are. Like, that is unique. And then the second thing is their powers are, and I mean this in a good way, kind of odd. Like, they are, they are an odd amount of power, and they don't totally go together. Um, but I like that. It feels kind of, I feel like that's very Kirby-esque. Yeah, it doesn't feel like these powers are built to play off each other perfectly but they are all visually interesting yes they are all unique and also easily defined like sometimes i have issues with like characters where i'm like oh they're power like one of my complaints about x-men characters not actually the ones on the team right now but like there's like a bunch of x-men characters that like absorb kinetic energy and can blast it out and i'm like i don't quite get what that is right like, does it, are you hurt when you're absorbing this? I guess not. Yeah. What and are the limits of it? What is the, what does that mean? Like yeah, you like, get shot and you're, and you shoot a wave coming out. I, of, yeah. And I, I don't, I don't. And, and like, that's one of the more understand. Sometimes powers are even more confusing than that. And I'm like, well, what can you do? What are your limits? What, what, what does that mean? And I like that these powers are very defined. Yeah. And they're pretty young, right? There's Alex, Jack, Julie, and Katie. Their last name conveniently is Power, which I yeah. forgot until I read this issue. Yeah. Um, and they are close siblings who get along and take care of each other. Something you and I don't get, but you know, we I have to understand that. We have but to it's take nice. that as a fact of the story. And um, their powers are what are they? There's the oldest what? is Alex, who I think is like 14, maybe yeah. 15. I don't think he's 16. No, he's definitely not 16. I think he's like 14. And his power is like, is he's G, right? He's like G-Force. Yeah. G-Power is his name, I think he calls it. Uh, and he can basically remove gravity from his body or anything he touches. So things can float. Yeah. And he can't increase it, right? I think later on he gets that power or when somebody else, they eventually they like trade powers around and that does come up. But for the early stretch, all he can do is make things float. And then there's his his little brother. So Alex is like the level-headed leader, like a lot of oldest siblings. He's got his act together. You know, he's sure, somebody boring, you look up to. Uh, tedious, sort confident. of wants to talk about girls and not take care of his siblings. Yeah, I, I see it. I yes. See you know, he's smarter and more mature. Right. We're, we agree. And the then next the next oldest is Julie. Julie, yeah. And she is got like probably like, she's got to be like 12 or 13 at the oldest. Yeah. And she can like, fly like she, the bottom half of her turns into a rainbow and she can fly and they, i think they call it light speed power yeah but she's not she doesn't go light speed she's not like no. flash fast but she's pretty fast yeah she, so she basically has flight mm -hmm. and then the next is jack he's mass right. master and he's so he probably can, like 10 he, yeah it might he might even be like eight or something right like or nine uh it's hard yeah, to say yeah. and then so and then he can like increase or decrease the density of himself i think so he can become right. like fog or become like dense and small and heavy right uh and that's a power he learned later on first he could just turn into clouds but then he uh i think in like issue three or four he starts learning how to shrink down to a tiny body yes and then the youngest who is like six right which blows your mind it blew, my son is six. It is insane that like, and that six-year-old is yeah. on her own in the story, and it's terrifying if I think about it too much. Right. Uh, and do, she has I also do not acknowledge most, your son. She's also got the most powerful power, which is yes. also very fun. She, yeah, she can disintegrate things by touching them, and then shoot out energy blasts with that energy she's uh, created by disintegrating things. Yeah, so she's the most powerful one. 
Definitely, by far. And she's, it's also she, the most destructive. She's the, she's really the only offensive power on the team. She's the only one who could kill somebody. Yeah. And she's six. Yeah, so... Um, so, you know, th- those powers are sort of interesting visually. They're also sort of like, I don't know if this was deliberate, but they're not like, except for Katie, they're kind of soft and passive powers in a way. It's like, I'll remove gravity from you. I can fly myself, but I can't do anything to you. I can turn into smoke. Um, I almost wonder if that was on purpose to make like some superheroes who just are less about hurting other people and more about like defense. And I don't know, there's something interesting about their, their powers in that way. Yeah. And giving the offensive power to the youngest child is definitely something they must've thought about. And it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, putting that much responsibility on someone so young. Uh, anyway, they're very interesting and I love them. Uh, particularly those like early issues, I think are just, fantastic i remember thinking that too the initial arc of them getting their powers and dealing with the alien race is just tremendous it's like it is like narnia it is just like a fantastic young adult story and this story with them and again this issue is a power pack story guest starring the x-men which is also sort of great like if you read the story and like these characters then you're going to start picking up this maybe lower selling book i think the x-men had already guest starred a little bit in their books but i love that about this but this story feels like a power pack story and it also just is a great story. Claremont really came up with a really fun, scary, interesting adventure for them. There's great moments in the story. I agree. I, I really enjoyed it. The basic, and also we should say the former X-Men editor, Louise Jones, and then Simonson. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's no longer editor at this point, but she was a longtime editor of the X-Books, is the writer and co-creator of Power Pack. So Claremont's kind of doing his former editor a solid here. Yeah, and I guess the one thing that just like keeps me from loving this issue tremendously more than the previous issues, and I like this issue a lot, is that I think if I didn't know Power Pack, I think it suffers from the same problem as some of those new mutant stories. I don't know if it does a great job explaining who Power Pack is and what their deal is. It definitely could do a better of, job. There's a little bit of like, you know these guys because the X-Men guest starred with them. Exactly. So if you're not buying that book, you would not know that. Yeah, Claremont's got that thing where he's like, well, everybody reads everything I do. Uh, which uh, is anyway, annoying. let's uh, let's talk about this issue. Okay, so the basic story is here: Power Pack are in sleep in bed with their parents, kind of on a stormy night, probably scared of the rain or whatever. But uh, when they wake up, something's happened, and their parents do not remember them. Neither do their neighbors, and it's just like they have woken up in a world that doesn't know who they are. They remember each other; they remember their world, but the parents don't remember it, and so they have to solve this, and that involves the Morlocks. The the mutants who live in the sewers. Right. And that's sort of the issue with this because they reference a past adventure they had in their own book where there's a Morlock who tried to kidnap them. And so they're like, oh, it must be that Morlock who has a friend who can erase people's memories. Like the clues that help them solve this were from another story that we haven't read. And those characters weren't even in previous, those Morlocks didn't even show up in previous X-Men books. Right. So it's a it's another case of you better be reading every single thing that Claremont's written if you want to. And he didn't even write that. I mean, that was a, a power pack book. Right. So. Um, but yes. So, yeah, they figure out that this Morlock uh, who wants these kids to be her kids because her kids were tragically murdered uh, is using other Morlock's powers to basically erase the parents' memories, kidnap the children 
disfigure their faces so that they can be, I guess, one with the Morlocks or maybe that nobody would want them or something or just to mark them as hers. And um, in the kidnapping of the power pack, Katie is the one who escapes, the youngest, most offensively powerful one. And she uh, stumbles on the X-Men. And gets well, the she escapes and her. gets taken to like a hospital. And Kitty Pride sees this on the news and goes to rescue her. Kitty Pride recognizes right, what's that's happening. Right. Kitty Pride's like, um, I know her. I'm gonna go get her. Yeah, I mean, that's what just terrifies me that this six year old has her parents don't remember her. She has to leave her brothers and sisters behind and yeah. is like in a hospital, kind of tied down, just her face disfigured and going, Well, I guess this is my life now. And then it's horrifying if i think yeah. about that happening to a like if that happened to peter parker i'd be like cool story dude yeah it happens to a six-year-old i'm like oh man this is brutal but but does that make you it don't exciting dwell on or... it much you don't dwell on it much it just keeps moving there, there is the thing where she's talking pretty articulately for a six-year-old like she seems she doesn't feel six in the same way that 15 year old spider-man kind of feels emotionally like 22 um she feels like a 10 year old to me. I, I'm not saying she is. Yeah. But like it makes it, it easier to read. If she was 10, it wouldn't feel as terrifying to me. And I think, yeah. So I agree with that. So it does help. And the story doesn't dwell on it enough. But like now that I have a six year old, every, every now and then I, I can't help but stop for a moment and think about it. So Kitty uh, sees Katie on the news and, and goes to rescue her. And she brings the X-Men with her. So we got Wolverine, we got Rogue. And we got Rachel. And we got Rachel Summers. Because Nightcrawler's off doing his own adventure. Maybe in the Secret Wars too? No. I don't know what it is. But because of that, Kitty Pride is in charge of the team. She is anointed yeah. leader. Yeah, that's one of the cool things is they all are like, you're the leader, Kitty. You're the best fitter. Which I have to say, that does fit. Like, I, I can't pick another one to be it. And she is immediately better than Nightcrawler was in the previous issues. Yeah, she's more suited to it, partly because they follow her, right? They don't doubt her, but also she's better. And she's smart, and her power almost is better suited to kind of like hold back and kind of give orders. And she's just really smart. She understands everyone's powers. Where Nightcrawler is kind of his own thing. Um, But yeah, it is interesting that she is just such a good natural leader here. There's um, there's a number of nice moments. this is a pretty sweet issue in a way. And like, there's lots of compassion that gets handed around here. Yes. Like there's lots of forgiveness and understanding and no hard feelings, even for an X-Men story. Yeah. There's a nice moment where Rachel wants to read Katie's mind, which is such an intrusive thing. And Rachel talks in such a good kind of way for a child. Uh, Rachel wants to read Katie's mind. Yeah, did I not say that? I thought I said that. Rachel wants to read Katie's mind, and she talks about it in such a nice, kind way that it like really fits. Like she's like, "Look, I think this is this is the best way to get the information from you. It won't hurt. If we learn anything, you don't want us to know. We'll keep it a secret." And it's just like kind of calms all the fears that a child might have with something so strange and weird. And then it's also she could have just done it, right? She could have just done. She could have just done it. Uh, they also give her an X-Men jacket and say, all right, you're you're temporarily part of the team here. You're the first person we've done this to. Yeah. And they give her an official X-Men jacket. They're sweet to her that way. Um, Wolverine calls her Logan, which he only does for his friends. We know that. Let's her call that. him Logan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, by the way, my friends call me Logan. 
Yep. A name he sort of keeps to himself. Like famously didn't tell the X-Men for like 30 issues. And uh, I guess the, they never asked. Yeah. With the reason you never asked. Um, there's also like somebody brings up in this past stories that we haven't read. They promised they were going to leave us alone, says Power Pack. You know, the Morlocks said they would leave us alone. And then they're like, so what? We, we don't always do what we say. They might be breaking their promise. And the X-Men, when they're similarly like, oh, great, the Morlocks are after him. We can't trust them. And then Wolverine says something like, we can trust Callisto. Like Callisto keeps her word or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, Callisto was fighting Storm to the death in the 160s of X-Men or whatever. But now she's like a trusted, you know, person. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that in X-Men these days. Like Magneto is, you know, becoming accepted. Uh, Callisto's being accepted. It's like, the, where are the bad guys? Everybody, everybody's kind of friends. Everybody's gray at worst. Yeah. But I guess that does make it interesting more than more than bad. But it, it uh, I guess it's remarkable. It happens a lot in these issues. Um, so, I mean, to cut to the chase, the X-Men figure it out right and they callisto enters the picture and kind of ends it and orders what is it annalee to like give up the kids yeah something like that i don't remember and that's also another sweet moment like after that's all done katie tells this woman who kidnapped her siblings her siblings that we'll come and visit you we know you don't have kids and that's sad we'll come visit you you can be like our special grandmother <laughs> um and it is super sweet. Even the X-Men are like, wow, we wouldn't be so forgiving of this person. Uh, but Katie Power is such a great character that she is just, she immediately befriends everyone she meets. Yeah. She's a really good kid. Um, and I got to say, like, um, I, I, once it, the, the, I like that the Power Pack are siblings. Um, it's sweet. You know, like, I think, Kevin, I think you, me, and Brian would have been a good superhero team. Uh, in all aspects, except for actually using our powers, which I think we would have been disasters. Well, I also like that uh, the, the power pack, there's a pretty wide range of personalities, which I don't know how true that is for all families and stuff, but like, mm -hmm. I think it sometimes is true, but like, you know, Jack is such a, like a, a sports guy who doesn't like school and sort of is arrogant yeah. uh, and Julius Shire and bookish. Like Alex is more outgoing, but he is also very smart. Like they, there's an interesting range of like personalities yeah. for one family. They're not all kind of the same, um, which helps a lot. Uh, I don't think we would have been good superheroes. I think we would have been great. And um, so, yeah, it's a very sweet story where they forgive the Morlock who kidnaps them and the, the Morlocks are able to undisfigure the faces, return their memories, fix the memories of, I guess, everybody who they affected. Um and it's a happy ending. And at the yeah. very end, there's a cliffhanger where Rachel Summers tells us that Magneto is sending a distress call to the X-Men from yeah. the X-Men's mansion. Yeah, which I guess ties into Secret Wars 2, which then carries into the next issue of X-Men, which we're not going to talk about Secret Wars 2 because we didn't read those issues. Right. Um, and so that's 195. Yeah. Um, 196. But these, about, these covers sorry. are great. 195 was a Bilson Kevitz cover, and boy, was it pretty. Yeah. With Wolverine holding up Katie. It could be interpreted as menacing, but he's smiling, and we and we and it turns out it's not menacing. But what a, what a great cover. 
And there's a similarly great cover for 196 where Rachel Summers is in her hound guys hoisting an unconscious kitty. And then there's an unconscious storm and rogue and nightcrawler shouldn't be storm. And Wolverine is standing over her. Yeah. These covers don't quite fit what's happening in the stories, but they are beautiful. And the, the, it was a Sienkiewicz cover for 195, and this is the John Romita Jr. cover for 196. And woof, mm-hmm. is it good? Um, Kevin, do you want to say the story of 196, or should I try to do it and you correct me? Uh, the I'll, overall I'll premise. It. Yeah, Professor X has detected... Professor X is sort of depowered since he's been mugged. His powers aren't that great. But he has accidentally detected that somebody in his class is going to murder somebody else. And so he summons the X-Men for help. But he can't really help them with his psychic powers. His telepathic powers aren't working. So he just calls them in to help them. That's the basic gist of this. Yeah, and they have to solve a mystery. And there's a subplot where we see... There's a couple little subplots. We see Storm, who's gone, uh, who's in Africa, also fully depowered. Uh, and she is shot by uh, people who don't like... Yeah, but she had to take her power down in the tribe. She had, like fought these poachers in an earlier issue okay like maybe three or four issues ago so now they're getting revenge x-men get shot a lot in what seems to be headshots the way they recoil it always seems like a headshot and they uh rarely die from them which is nice uh also the beyond yeah it's very sweet of them that they don't die from their headshots uh the beyonders floating around this issue a lot um Nightcrawler has a crisis of faith because he met the Beyonder and thinks it might be God, but God is not acting like he thinks God should act, and it confuses him. So yeah, that's goes, an interesting story that I don't know if it gets played more than those few pages, but I think it's really interesting. I think so too. Um, but then the and we don't the Scott and Madeline Pryor. That's, that's next, next issue. issue. Okay, yeah. right. So I was just making sure of that. And then um, okay, so we got the murder mystery. And then there's also the aspect that, and I guess this started in Secret Wars 2, is that Magneto is just sort of hanging out with the team now and they're treating him like an ally. Right. And he's soon going to take over the team. Yeah, he's gonna take over. And I guess his girlfriend is Lee Cyclops's old ship captain girlfriend. Oh, I didn't know that. It took me a bit to figure out who she was. There there's uh, Claremont does not give you a lot of clues to that. He assumes you know what's going on in his head, but I believe that is Lee uh, who dated Cyclops before he instantly fell in love and married Madeline Pryor. Right. She was the ship captain mm-hmm. uh, and she walked around Cthulhu Island with Scott and they were always taking their clothes off and making out. All right. And now she's with, you know, the 90 year old Magneto. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess he likes people who are comfortable on Cthulhu Islands. Because that was his headquarters. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, the mystery. So for solving the mystery, we got Rogue, Wolverine, Kitty, and Rachel Summers. And is Nightcrawler on the case no, a little he's bit? he's too, too busy having his crisis of faith, so he does not help out. Okay. He's in the issue, but he's not really on the case. So they're kind of like, they have a short, they basically have a list of who Professor Xavier's students are in that lecture when he detected the thought, and they're going through it to find out. Um. This fun little conversation with Kitty and Wolverine where she tries his cigar. Yeah. Uh, and it makes her sick. And he points out that he's got healing powers, so the tobacco's not bad for him, but it's bad for her. Though he is giving her secondhand smoke, seemingly carelessly. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel characters don't smoke anymore, and I'm in favor of that. Yes, uh, we have, yes, we have established that. Yeah. Oh, Colossus is in this too. Oh, yeah. Um, Colossus. 
they eventually figure out that there's a little group who wants to who in the Xavier's cause who want to kill mutants. And they not only are planning a murder, they tried to kill Professor Xavier. Right. That was the murder they were planning was Professor X. Right. Okay. So and the way they were going to kill him was they plan I don't is Colossus in this? I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't think yeah. he is. He's not in that battle, but he's in part he's he's sitting next to Wolverine and Rogue on the steps of the of Columbia while other people do investigating. Hmm. Doesn't do anything. Okay. Um anyway, um he throws Wolverine up on the school, give me a fastball special. Okay, great. I thought maybe Rogue did that. I didn't see that happen. Mm -hmm. I'm flipping through it right now. Yeah, the way they kill Professor X is they planted a psychic bomb that if there's somebody uses telepathic powers, it triggers a backlash, which I don't know how you get one of those. Yeah, that seems really useful because a lot of people would be interested in that technology. Um, There's there's Colossus at the diner. Yeah. So Uh, uh, Rachel Summers triggers it. Yeah, she accidentally triggers this bomb, which was planted to hurt uh, Professor X. And while that's happening, Kitty Pride has sort of stumbled onto this these students. So I guess she's in class with these guys, which I didn't know. I didn't know that either, but I guess she's doing some kind of computer programming seminar at the college level. I mean, she's been established as a computer genius, but yeah. I, I wish they told us that. But so she's a 15-year-old hanging out with college kids. She's also taking a class with Professor Powers from the Power Pack family. It was mentioned in the previous issue, so she's in classes with everybody. Uh, uh, but yes, but she goes and visits these students who are planning to kill Professor X, and they realize she's probably a mutant, so they start killing her. And then Rachel Summers shows up full of fury to protect Kitty. Yeah, and Rachel plans to kill these guys, but Magneto stops her. Yeah, and talks her out of it. They have like a little debate, a little crisis of conscience, and he talks her out of it, and they save this guy's life, and she's mad about it. Uh, and that's the end of the issue. She's sore, Magneto is the good guy, and the Beyonder is unimpactful. Yeah, he was sort of just watching it the whole time. He's like, oh, these X-Men are interesting, I guess. Yeah. This is... He's like, this is a good comic book. I think the watcher, sort of... the watcher should tap Beyonder on the shoulder and be like, hey, man, you can interfere. <laughs> I, get involved, know, I, get I, I get it that you're not supposed to i say the same thing but i would get i would get incredibly involved if i were you um i don't know pretty fun issue yeah uh, i you know i i'm planning on saying for my wrap-up thoughts on the x-men claremont's not great at plotting but he is really good at character moments and like there's just a, lots of fun little human touches between people in these stories yeah I mean, he knows these characters really well, and he they interact in really fun ways. Um, the last issue we talk about is issue 197, which is a Doctor Doom issue, Will Hines. Yes, and an arcade issue. Yes. And it's a, it's probably the first in a long time of issues that I would say is a Colossus issue. Yeah, that's he true. Colossus. Very little focus, I think. That's true, and, and he's a big focus here. Um, it's a little bit of a confusing story. But it's yes. basically that Arcade has kidnaps Kitty and Colossus and says, Dr. Doom is after me because of an insult. And we have seen those insults. Yeah. And he and- acknowledges John Burns retcon that um, the insult that Arcade did was to a robot Dr. Doom. Yes. Because Claremont doesn't re-retcon that. Yeah. He lets John Byrne get his win. 
Right. And that's like a whole thing. But in a much earlier arcade story, Arcade and Doom teamed up. Arcade says something rude to Doom. And when you read that, it seems out of character for Doom to accept it. And then, like you're saying, John Byrne in the Fantastic Four, a Doom robot tells the real Dr. Doom, hey, I did your thing for Arcade and he insulted me. And Doom's like, oh, in what manner did you murder him with? Yeah. Right. That's in the FF story. Yeah. And that was John Byrne's way of saying that wasn't the real Dr. Doom. I would not have I would not have okayed that if I was. Yeah. If I was still speaking with or working with Chris Claremont. And then so here Claremont, who does read, I guess, all Marvel comics, accepts that retcon. So the story here is Arcade is like, look, Kitty Pride and Colossus, save me from Dr. Doom or I'll kill all your nearest and dearest. Uh, and my associate has instructions to do that too. So they're like, all right, fine. We'll protect you from doom. And then they, all these doom think attack. And they also have a uh, robot X-Men to help them. Yeah. Arcade's always Doctor. got robot X-Men just hanging around. So it's robot X-Men plus Colossus and Kitty versus doom technology. Kitty and Colossus win. And then it turns out doom was not involved. Arcade was just having a gentleman's bet with his associate. And he lied to the X-Men to get them to be part of his wager. Though he was, they, they, it was a wager to the death. So they did save Arcade's life, just not from Dr. Doom. Yeah. So um, now John Byrne doesn't need to get involved. Yeah, John Byrne can stay out of it. Uh, the fighting is fun. John Romita Jr.'s art is great. Uh, there's a sweet little reconciliation of Colossus and Kitty here at the end. That's quite nice. Yeah, and there's also early on, Colossus sort of deals with like... Guilt. The fact that he hurt Kitty Pride, that Zaji in Secret Wars died and he couldn't protect her. And that Ilyana sort of, you know, was aged up and kidnapped into a demon portal for ages. And that he sort of feels that's his fault, too. And he's kind of right on all those things. Yeah. I mean, they were all sort of unavoidable. It's not like he did anything wrong, but like I can see why he would feel responsible for all those things. And it's fun to see the story where he's wrestling with that. Because he's often just in the background just saying, by the white wolf. Right. Yeah, he's part of the foreground. He's got a lot of guilt to deal with. Um, he kind of faces up to it. He admits to Kitty that he has a lot of feelings for her, and he feels bad about what well, he, happened. He admits to Robot Kitty. To Robot Kitty, but he thinks it's real Kitty. And then real Kitty sees him, has seen him do that. Does she know he said those things? Yeah. He, she's like, it was nice to hear that you really, to see that you really care. I miss that. I miss that. I mean, look, it might be um, uh, I think she I thought she was just referring to like that. He was he was trying to protect her, but uh, I guess it could be uh, that. Or did you enjoy making a fool of me, Kitty? That wasn't my intent, Peter. But yeah, part of me does. And part of me is ashamed. I wanted to see if you still cared and how much. What yeah, is the so answer? I think, I think she's just talking about like. Yeah, him protecting her and and all that stuff. I don't know if he heard those things, but maybe he did. It's un it's unclear to me. And they let Arcade go. Also, it's another villain that does not no repercussions. There are no bad guys in the X Men comics anymore. Everyone's cool. Um, <laughs> and Colossus and Kitty at the end kind of reconcile. Colossus says to Kitty, "Tell me then, could this be the beginning of a beautiful friendship?" Panel of silence, and then they're holding hands, and she says, "Maybe." Yeah, it's nice. We just get a little subplot with uh, Scott Summers being summoned back to the X-Men, but we'll talk more about that, I think, in the next issue. And then Storm wakes up from her fatal headshot and wants revenge. Oh, yeah, that's right. Storm was fine from being shot in the head. Um, It's a very sweet issue. I I, I did enjoy it. Um, 
Yeah, we, we are abandoning the X-Men when they're kind of stabilizing into nicely, at least for right now, nicely contained stories. Only a handful of unexplained plot things. Uh, the excellent John Romita Jr. art. Yeah, the plot uh, things that are unexplained generally just mean like we didn't read other issues more than like this doesn't really make any sense, which we exactly. were getting sometimes. Yeah, yeah, they they do make sense if you know the story. Uh, and there's also tons of, I don't know, compassion for villains. People confronting their feelings. Um, I mean, it's stuff that Claremont's that puts he puts a priority on that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, should we take a break? Let's do it. Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, we might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks. In advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we're back into the mailbags portion of our Mutants and Mailbags episode. Um, if you want to email us, you can send us an email at screwitcomics at gmail. Please do. We're getting ready to wrap up our X-Men. So uh, what are we missing by not reading the 200s? What, what do you guys think of the X-Men? And, and for those people who read the original run, um, I, why do you love it? Why do you love it? Uh, l l share us those thoughts. Um, I'd like share us those thoughts. I guess that's mm -hmm. English and, um, or just tell us anything else about comics or anything we're reading. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at screw it comics or on Twitter at screw it comics. Uh, Kevin, what do we got? Got a few emails here to read. Will Hines. This is an email from Brandon Wallace. Uh, the subject is what if you read this on mutants and mailbags? Mm. Uh, greetings, improvisors. Mm -hmm. uh, Long-time listener, second-time emailer, and occasional interactor online. Uh, I drew that nifty comic cover that you use for your profile pictures on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, yeah, uh, which is like us being swatted by the Hulk. Yeah, I love it. Which is great. Uh, super awesome to see you still using it as well. Was I too kind to Will's hairline? Be honest. Oh, wait. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of a different one. I'm going to pull up our Twitter account now. I feel like, isn't there one where we're in X-Men costumes or? Yes. Yes. There's that one too. That's the one. Uh, so yeah. we have one where we're being slapped. Someone else drew that. He drew the one of us in X-Men costumes that, yes, I'm using as our, like, a comic covers. And, uh, like, I don't know. We wear, we're wearing, like, yellow goggles. Yeah. we. I mean, Will's got a nice head of hair there. I'll, I'll admit yeah, it's it's inaccurately full, and I love it. I'm also I'm also thin and muscular. He Kirby me a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we're both uh, uh, more fit, fit than we sh than we should be, which is nice. I look my age. I've got a gray beard and a bald head, but I'm not as fat as I am in real life. So I, I do appreciate that. We also both look like like we've got real firm opinions. We also look happy. That's nice to imagine. He he really he lied a lot in this in this image, know, I, and and we're glad for it. I wish that was all true. Um. So thank you for that, Brandon. Um, brothers, you've inspired my father, hey, Dad, and I to start our own comic podcast, and I think we do one-tenth as good a job as you two do. 
So yeah. not too shabby at all. It's called Panel Surfing with Barry and Brandon. Uh, I guess check that out, folks. I have not, I have not listened to it. I, uh, I, that has been tweeted at me, and I am aware of it, but I haven't gotten around to listening to it, unfortunately. Um, I bet it's better than one-tenth as good as us. It's probably at least one-fifth. Yeah, yeah. Lower that denominator to a smaller number. Uh, all of this is context to say that I have been rereading every what if comic available on Marvel Unlimited in preparation for a future episode. And it got me wondering if you could write a what if story, what would it be about? And why is it what if the enforcers gain the powers of the beyonder? Um, additionally, what kind of what ifs do you like and which ones do you dislike? I'm not particularly fond of what if X character became Y character instead. Thanks for reading my ramblings, Brandon. Um, I think we have talked about what what ifs we would do, but I've forgotten our answers. Do you want to come up with a what if idea? Well, yeah, I'll do a new one. I don't remember. I feel like I feel I I think there was like a bit more of a specific prompt last time, but mm-hmm. maybe not. Um, I mean, I do tend to like what if the happy ending happened and it's not happy. You know, like what if Uncle Ben lived, but it and then they do that story and it like sucks or whatever. Yeah, those uh, are those are sort of intriguing. The um, ones, the ones, I mean, that are like sliding doors if another path was taken. You know, what if Spider Man kept the alien costume? What if Spider Man did join the FF? Those yeah. are fun. Like those moments that almost happened um, and going the other direction, uh, I think is always very interesting to me. Um, sometimes they're more vague than that. And uh, those I don't necessarily like as much. Uh-huh. Um, I'm kind of open to all what ifs just by the very nature of it, just because I think there's something cool about like a story where there's no repercussions and you can sort of kill or, or change characters drastically. A lot of the original ones, it seemed like they would still sort of end the same way. Yeah. And that is less interesting where it's like Spider-Man still sort of always becomes Spider-Man or whatever. It's more interesting. The idea of like, like there was one, I don't even know if it had a thing, but it was just like, what if the, in the Spider-Man versus Wolverine story, what if like Spider-Man killing Charlie made him just sort of like kind of continue down this path of being more like Wolverine. Oh, okay. And it was, and it's like not an easily defined what if, but it was still a really fun story. Like what would Spider-Man be like if he was okay killing bad people? Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. Uh, anyway, um, uh, if I was going to do a what if, or if Will was going to do a what if, what would that be? Something that might be fun is like kind of maybe this is sort of specific, but what if it was like, what if Spider Man was the only hero in the MCU? Yeah. Um, what if, uh, you know, kind of like undoing? I mean, okay, here's mine. What if the superheroes were not allowed to be sarcastic? <laughs> That would be mine. Like, they're just not allowed to say anything like, gosh, isn't that a little on the nose? Or like, boy, yeah. What if what if none of the Marvel superheroes had a sense of humor? That That's what I would say, because I'm sick of it. How's that for um, a top selling what if story? It, I mean, this one probably existed, but what if Wolverine didn't join the X-Men? OK, or yeah. what if Wolverine died and uh, uh, Thunderbird lived. OK, yeah. Oh, well, that's really interesting. I, that's a that's a really good one. So, like, you're taking out one the one loner and keeping the other loner. How about what if Man Thing could talk but sounded like Gilbert Gottfried? 
Um, uh, what if Spider-Man had a boner all the time? <laughs> what if here's I, that's like if, a side effect of his powers. What if Professor X could only read minds while aroused? And Cerebro <laughs> was like a masturbation machine that was used just to activate his powers. Like a what if series of like six issues in a row are all boner based. <laughs> like, what, like what who, happened? To who this? got in charge? Who got put in charge of what if? Who's editing this comic right now? <laughs> um, what if? The Hulk entered uh, the MMA. <laughs> I mean, I hope he would win. What if the Watcher blushed a lot? <laughs> what if Galactus returned to even shorter shorts? <laughs> what if Galactus just like ate part of the Earth? Yeah, that'd be fun. Just, um, like, just like New Zealand. <laughs> just a snack. Just, just a be, nosh. He's like, I agree. I will leave. But, but you gotta I give need me something for the road. I need something for the road. Yeah. And the Fantastic Four gave him New Zealand. Yeah. Um, what if the Watcher played poker? What if okay, I'm out. That's all we got. Okay. What if Steve Ditko designed Daredevil's costume? Ooh, now we're talking. Uh, our next email is from Anthony uh Ashe. And its subject is reading recommendations and learn listening history. Uh, okay. Hey there, gentlemen. I think Peter David's X Factor run, the second one, would be a great point to read after you're done with Claremont's Mutants with your mailbags. There's so much wackiness and so much heart and such twists that I'm certain Will will be enthralled. And Kevin, you've already mentioned your love of Peter David. Uh, I'd also like to recommend reading the IDW run of Turtles, or at least the first trade. Uh, going back and listening to your old episodes, you mentioned Turtles quite often, and I think IDW is doing a great job with the line. If an entire run seems daunting, maybe try Batman TMNT titles. I admit I bought them thinking they'd be a joke or a cash grab, but they are stupendous reads, and the art is splendid too. Uh, as to the history of listening, I kind of just want to share two cute stories of my son listening with me. Uh -oh. He's three. I shouldn't have mentioned all the boner stuff. <laughs> uh oh i forgot the kids listen to this well at three they don't quite understand that stuff i hope he's so. three and he digs spider-man he was adamant that something was wrong when he heard screw it screw it we're just going to talk about comics uh he'd be like no they're going to talk about spidey uh now i'm listening to sandman and i realize i probably shouldn't listen to them with him in the car when you started describing uh the Calliope story. Removing a face and posting it to a wall. Oh, yeah. Luckily, my kiddo is in the process of learning to read, and he was just listen, uh, sitting in the car, sounding out words in his Pokemon book. Uh, for whatever reason, I just wanted to share that. I think it's cute. Oh, and I listened to the scripted podcast as well, and I much prefer your non-scripted show. It feels more like a conversation. I want to join rather than someone informing me of stuff. Keep up the good work, Anthony. Um, uh, uh, I loved the Peter David's X Factor. I'm a huge fan. Peter David fan, especially, uh, I think like X Factor maybe was his last great run on something. It was a long run. It was a book with a uh, Madrox, the multiple man was sort of the leader of the team. And it was really, really fun. And kind of all the same ways this X-Men run is fun. It was a, sort of a ragtag team of mutants kind of going on adventures, often their own little corner of the X books. So they didn't really get super involved in stuff. A little sillier than Claremont stuff, of course, but Really good and really cool. Uh, so I, I'd love that run. Um, um, it's a good suggestion. I think if we read Turtles, I feel like we would probably read the Eastman and Layered like first 
like six I, issues or so. If that's we're what I would do want to read. I'd want to read the birth of it. Um, though I've heard good things about the IDW run, and I've actually heard that those Batman crossovers are good. I've never read them, but I've heard that they are well done. So he's probably right that those are good and maybe even better. But I'd be more interested in those. I've read those original ones, but I don't remember them well. Yeah, me either. And a hello to your son if he's listening. Hello. I usually don't acknowledge children, but I'll do it for this one time. Whoa. Uh, here's an email uh, from Terrence or Terry, and its subject is forgive me. Oh, wow. Greetings, true believers. I lifted this. I titled this email, Forgive Me, because there's something that has been sticking in my craw for several years now since I started listening to the beginning of your Spider-Man run of shows. Uh, I was directed to the podcast by Will through his appearances on comedy Bang Bang. Never heard of it. Me either. Which have remained some of my favorite episodes, especially when Scott Ackerman and his other guests guide Will into places that were never intended. On a side note, hearing Will laugh out loud before he's even been introduced is always a fun treat. Uh, I collected comics as a kid. This will be relevant soon. Stopped for a while in high school and then revisited again briefly in college, only to give up again in the 90s, the worst era for comics in history. I mean, did you see Daredevil's 90s costume? I imagine that we are close to the same age and collected some of the same comics in our collective childhoods, though you both love FF way more than I ever did and have a much harder time locking into them uh, as I did Spider-Man and the X-Men. Uh, I've wanted for years to dip my toes back into the world, uh, comics world and was able to at the beginning of the pandemic through collected graphic novels, especially the epic collections to which you both guided me. So thank you. I now have a collection of graphic novels and I am proudly that I'm particularly proud of and I continue adding it to it on a regular basis, filling in the holes of my comics expertise. Uh, so why am I asking you to forgive me? I say this with love because I think you're both hilarious and engaging, but I have to plead with you to start pronouncing comics creators names correctly. This is more me than Will, I feel, but uh, every time I hear a mispronunciation, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard, like a fork scraping on a dinner plate, like Banshee when he steps on a Lego. When I see a kid, uh, uh, when I was a kid, uh, a comics collecting friend introduced me to the New Mutants, and I've been a fan ever since, but he kept pronouncing uh, psych, oh, <laughs> Psyche as Psyche, so I just did it wrong. Uh, no, not like Nike, but like Bike. Uh, it wasn't his only mispronunciation, and I would only find out years later being corrected by other readers and by learning more about mythology. Additionally, my favorite artist on New Mutants was Bill Sinkiewicz. We'll see, I'm mispronouncing it there, I'm sure. Uh, whose name was just a glance at just a glance is a nightmare of mispronunciation, but it was like a revelation to me when I learned how it was supposed to be sound. Uh, yes, maybe I'm scarred by my friend's bad pronunciation influence uh, because maybe it's because I've gone through years of my own last name being mispronounced. Uh, I imagine Heinz is rarely messed up, but I eventually grew up to be an English teacher. Now, correct pronunciation on a daily basis, uh, and now correct pronunciation on a daily basis. So I can't really help myself. Some examples, Tom Brevroot, uh, uh, which who you keep pronouncing Brevroot, which I just did again. It's just how it comes out of my mouth. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you've had him on the podcast. According to my research, it's more like Brevart. Um, in your Moon Knight episode, you pronounced, uh, Doug, uh, uh, Monek, I pronounce it as Doug Monek when it's pronounced more like Munch. The N isn't in the place where it would sound like you have pronounced it. Uh, recently, you said uh, uh, Bushema, I'm pronouncing the C and it should be Busema. Mm. Okay, so I, you know, I'm getting these all wrong. You, you wrote an email where you're just hearing me do the thing you hate, Terry. Uh, I get it. This isn't your main gig. You have 
you may not have much preparation other than reading, maybe taking some notes. I also know maybe you probably don't have a lot of time to edit, and this is a labor of love. And further, that I'm complaining about a small part of a free podcast. I get it, but I don't care. I'd stop uh, if I didn't care. I'd just stop listening, and I don't want to do that. So please forgive me and my teachery habits. Uh, thank you for your hours of entertainment. You really do create one of my favorite podcasts and help rekindle my love of comics. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Uh, he's right. We should be better about that. Uh, it's yeah. hard. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, there's like a high percentage of comic book creators where the names are deceptive. Like uh, Kurt Busiek. I definitely used to say Busiek all the time. Yeah. Um, and then I eventually I read something where he had written like what it was pronounced yeah. like Busiek. And his Twitter bio for a while said it's pronounced Busiek. Or I think or I pronounced... get Sinkevich right. It's Sinkevich uh, is... I'm pretty sure how that's how that is. Uh, Tom Brevoort, I probably get that. I think it's Brevoort. I mean, yeah, he, I, he was just on Spider Talk, and so I heard him say it, and I think that's what it was. Brevoort. Yeah, I definitely get it wrong constantly. There's something about the way I read it; it just comes out of my mouth wrong. And then by the time I've said it, even when I stop and think, I I always think like I know I say this wrong, and then I say it wrong again. And it's I have a mental block for his name and i pod i do love tom's uh writing and his work his histor his historical writings and stuff yeah um yeah i mean we should be able to do that better um i think it is uh rude in a way but it's also um adorable maybe hopefully adorable i do think like not trying is really the hard part it's like i do think we try it's just like you know, sometimes we mangle them. We're not going to the extra effort of looking them up and listening to them or, or doing that research. Sometimes it's hard to find that. Um, there certainly are names I have looked up in the past. I'm like, I can't figure out how this is pronounced. Um, uh, and often I don't check. That is true. And sometimes we bring up a, a, a creator we're not planning to. So that's impossible for us to have researched beforehand. Um, yeah, it's true. And especially if somebody emails in about something we're not expected to, it's, it's a little bit more difficult, but, um, I mean, uh, we're guilty as charged and, uh, mm -hmm. we'll try to be better, but I wouldn't get your hopes up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's do two more, Will Hines. Fine. I accept that. This is from a friend and a frequent emailer, Justin Bridge. Uh, yo, Milksops, uh, loved your episode on She-Hulk. Thought you did a nice job bringing us up to speed on her and her history to provide context for the show. Just wanted to add a couple of points. And and, and if you're not a frequent listener, Justin Brand, often he knows the um, official handbooks really well. He knows these power sets really well. And he is good at correcting us on like weird plot details that we would have no way of knowing about sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I believe Peter David brought this up somewhere, but I could be wrong. That each Hulk manifests the way they become. Uh, the uh, each Hulk manifests the way they are because of a sort of inner expression or desire. Bruce was traumatized, so he became a giant rage monster. Abomination could never transform back and looks like a lizard because he is truly a despicable person, and that's a reflection of inner, his inner self. She-Hulk was a repressed, hardworking woman who gets to blow off steam and stress by becoming She-Hulk. Leonard Sampson gets to be a human looking great except for green hair because he's a little vain and wants to look good etc cetera, etc cetera. this doesn't explain all the gamma mutates but they did lean into it for a while so it's worth mentioning i do remember reading that too i don't remember if that was peter david or near the end of slots run i feel like it was in she hulk that it came up uh, but peter david had a brief she hulk run so it might have been him 
writing She-Hulk. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's, that makes sense story-wise, I guess. Uh, although, weirdly, I know this is going to sound strange. I kind of don't mind it being random. Like, you just sort of, it's like, it's you're kind of just stuck with whatever the gamma rays give you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about that that is kind of satisfying also. I don't know. I, I, I don't, It does I don't fit, know. though. The leader was like a dumb blue-collar guy and probably wanted to be, like, smart and then became super smart and evil. Yeah, uh, It does fit. I, I think a lot of these things are... Yeah, the, the longer Marvel goes, the more it's hard to have things like that because there's just too many examples. Yeah, too many permutations. Like, and so you have to just sort of choose which ones you ignore. Like even the recent Immortal Hulk thing, there's times where Al Ewing had to really do somersaults to make like his Hulk stories like fit with what had happened. Yeah. Um, And he didn't really want to ignore things, but it's just like, yeah, you can do that. But like, there's no way there won't be a story in five years that, invalidates whatever invalidates everything yeah. you did you just have to sort of like ignore that when you're reading immortal hulk or what have you um i mean it's like the thing right like that the thing can't turn back into ben Grimm because of like a mental block yeah that works in some stories in some stories it doesn't make any sense right but like the way reed worked like why if that was really the answer and reed kind of always knew it then why was he working on inventions all the time to, to cure him yeah um but it's like in some stories it, it's, it is a cool idea but it isn't always consistent there. Anyway, uh, thank you for sharing that, Justin. Uh, his second point is She-Hulk. The She-Hulk breaks the fourth wall trope is, oh, uh, this is interesting. I believe related to the Hulk's ability to perceive things beyond the norm. The handbook said that Hulk can see astral forms. This is true. Hulk can see uh, Doctor Strange when he is in his astral ghost form. Ooh, freaky. Um, he's like the only person or one of the only people. Uh, and other similar things being that cannot be perceived with regular human eyes. She-Hulk is aware that she's either in a story or that her life is under the control of an outside source. I remember reading somewhere once that she tries not to talk to the reader, writer, editor when she's on Avengers because Avengers started getting weirded out by it. Just like she believed the show was going to be a lawyer show. He's talking about the MCU show. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fun, but I, that's not in my thing. It's just, it's a fun thing that happened in her comics and is not a power she has. Yeah, that's definitely true. But it is fun to think about, oh, yeah, Hulk can see Doctor Strange and She-Hulk can see us. There's a character called Gwenpool, Wilhelms. Yes, um, I know of Gwenpool. And her whole thing is that she's a, not just aware she's in the comic book. Like, she's from, like, our universe and, and now is in the Marvel Universe and is aware of, like, everyone. Seeks, she's, like, read comics, so she knows everything about comic books or mm. something. Mm. I have not read those runs. I hear they're very fun. But she briefly was on uh, the West Coast Avengers, written by Kelly Thompson, and she didn't have her her fourth wall breaking powers in that comic. I would often think about it. And she's like, <laughs> I don't understand why I can't do that in this comic. <laughs> Uh, and she could only do it in her own comic. And that something about that, I think, was very fun and weird and interesting. I didn't really love that West Coast Avengers comic, even though it was by Kelly Thompson, who I genuine, genuinely, generally love. But uh, yeah. that was a fun, weird tweak to the Gwenpool character. It was also my first experience reading anything with Gwenpool. It was very weird. Um, I also read a theory about the Marvel She-Hulk show. Let me share this with you, Will Hines. I don't okay. buy into this either, but it is very fun. Okay. Um. But that uh, uh, the Hulk, uh, Mark Ruffalo Hulk, has two personalities, right? He's him, he's Banner and the Hulk, and they've merged at this point. But like for a while, they were two personalities. So when he became the Hulk, it unleashed a new personality, right? 
But Jennifer Walters didn't get that. When she right. became She-Hulk, she did not get another personality. Right. She's the just theory that I saw like on Twitter or something is that Jennifer Walters' second personality is this belief that she is on a TV show. The audience that she is talking to is this other personality that she now has. Oh, okay. Uh, that is like a Twitter person's fun theory that I don't think is in the show. It is fun to pretend. I don't think the show about. means that, but that is fun to think. You can yeah. get a no prize, I think. That's a no, that's a no prize worthy explanation. Um, also, I'll hand can, out a no prize to anybody who asks. Yeah, you, you give no prize to people. They're just like, can I get a no prize? Kevin, you just got a no prize. I don't want one. Two more. Ah, dang it. Uh, here's our last one for today, Will. This is a subject Sandman series. It's from Zeke. Hey, Milk Sops, your episode on the Sandman series really helped me understand my reaction to the show. I was having a hard time articulating my feelings, but you managed to put your finger on it. The slow pace of the first half and the editing of the conversation and Dream's detachment from it all hurt those first five episodes. You didn't mention the last the duel between Lucifer and Dream, but I felt just as underwhelmed by this event, which is a big impact on me when I read it every time as the rest of Preludes and Nocturnes in the series. Uh, for me, the show takes off with the sound of her wings, and I love the second half. Dream is loosening up, and the storytelling is more cinematic than the first half, uh, which felt as if it treated the comics as both scripts and storyboards. By the way, loved Will is Morpheus on the CBB live show in Cleveland. Thank you. A little compliment for you. Uh, thank uh, you well, for yeah. Thanks for listening, and I'm I'm that's satisfying. If if we were able to articulate something you were feeling. Um... I was underwhelmed by that battle in the comics. I, and I don't think it's between Morpheus and Lucifer, right? It's between Morpheus and Az Aziel. Like a somebody that like in the in the show that character asks Lucifer to fight as his second, right? In the TV show. Oh right. Does that happen in the comics too? I don't think it does. I think you were right that it is not Lucifer. Like Lucifer's just watching. So but, you know, it felt very like Hobbit, you know, like when when Bilbo faces off against Gollum and they try to out riddle each other. And then Bilbo goes, what I mean, have they got in my pockets? And then like, I mean, maybe like, think of um, Sword in the Stone, the Disney movie. Yeah, it's very Sword in the Stone. It's or, yeah, it's much more like I'll that. become a dragon. Yeah. Um, it just seems like, well, anybody can win. I mean, who does this is just can go on forever. Sort mm -hmm. of. It's rock, paper, scissors, miscellaneous. <laughs> um. So I was underwhelmed in the comics and I, so I was the same underwhelmed in the show. So that particular example didn't, didn't bother me, but I don't know. I don't know why I'm bringing that up because like lots of other stuff in the show thrilled in the comics thrilled me. And I was not thrilled in the show. Uh, uh, our the, friends will uh, Nicole Dressel and Jackie Jennings mm -hmm. doing a podcast called red on red. Okay. Where one of them has read the source material and one has not, and they're covering Sandman. And um, I'm catching up on that podcast. They had the opposite reaction of us mostly. They liked the first half of the show and are not into the Corinthian half. Oh, fascinating. That's I very find interesting. it very fascinating. And I'd emailed Nicole early on about my thoughts on the show. I couldn't Nicole's the one who read it, so I wasn't worried about spoiling stuff. Um, and now I realize, like, wow, we had a completely different reaction to the show. Like, yeah. they did not like the Corinthian stuff. They had lots of issues with it. And they, good reasons. They talk about a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, Jackie's are different because she hasn't read them. So there's she also has the aspect. I'm like, she's like, I wanted to do this and this and this. I'm like, oh, that's not really what this book did. But yeah. um, uh, uh, it's interesting. I was I'm very fascinated by the fact that they really did not like the last four episodes, and they really enjoyed most of, but not all of the first six. 
It's very interesting. Yeah. Kevin, did I tell you, I can't remember if I mentioned it in our last episode, that the movie 3,000 Years of Longing is like a better adaptation of the Sandman vibe than the Sandman show? You definitely texted me that. I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast. So I'll mention it here on the podcast. Well, maybe the you pod- didn't. I, I, either on text or podcast, and I okay, made the joke I, this that might I be did not believe that was a real movie. <laughs> okay, I, I've now forgotten if we did this over podcast. I'll say it right now, and I'll keep it very brief on the very likely chance that I've already said it. But I've been thinking about it a lot. The movie 3,000 Years of Longing by George Miller, the director of Mad Max Fury Road, starring Tilda Swinton, Idris Elba, um, feels like a Sandman comic to me way more than the Sandman series. It is, to be clear, not an adaptation at all of Sandman. I have no idea if any of the people involved even know who the Morpheus comic book character is. But um, it's about a genie telling a lot of the movie is a genie telling somebody stories of his life. And those stories, the, the fact that it's somebody, a story about somebody telling stories and they are fantastical events is extremely Sandman. And I found myself totally wrapped up in it and delighted. And I was like, this is, I, I think I did say this last episode. That's what the no, show I think, wants. I think you texted me this because I then watched the trailer and I don't think I would have done that after a podcast. I'm usually tired. Okay. <laughs> and I watched the trailer and I liked the trailer. And I also didn't realize it was George Miller. Um, yeah, I, I didn't either until I went to see it. Um, I really recommend this movie if you're a, a cinema fan and certainly if you're a Sandman comics fan, just because it's a similar type of thing. I guess I should say that I think the movie in a kind of major way, the ending is not satisfying, although it's not bad. And I, but I think the first seventy-five percent of three thousand years of longing is one of the best movies so I've like ever two, seen. Two thousand years of longing, yeah, like two thousand years of these longing are incredible. Mm-hmm. And then it still ends well. Like I walked out beaming. I was like, "Wow, what a movie! Uh, this guy's a genius to have done Fury Road and then do this quite different thing." But, um, but the, did the animated movie Happy Feet. Yeah, and then also, did he do Babe Pig in the City? Maybe he did that. George I mean, he's an interesting he, dude. He's got one of these crazy movie careers like Billy Wilder or something where he, or, or Steven Soderbergh where he just did like all sorts of yeah. stuff. I don't know. But anyway, it's um, hard to imagine the guy did Mad Max doing anything other than like action films. Exactly. Especially because he did it so well. But yeah. Um, anyway, I really if you're a Sandman comics fan, watch 3000 Years of Long. I have to believe you'll like it. Uh, I adored it. Every little bit of it. And um even even the parts that I found a little unsatisfying, I st- I still weirdly was like, I love this movie. Um, and I'm kind of sad that it's I, I really feel like it's not getting talked about or it's not catching people's attention for whatever reason. But it's a special film. I watched a movie um, that you everyone said was bad. Called just uh, Jurassic Park Dominion. And I watched it. Everyone says this movie is bad and boring. And I found it bad and boring. Oh, interesting. You were so, you were right uh, with everyone. Everybody. Everyone was right. And I was like, and I was just, but I still watched it. And as I was watching it, it's like long. It's, yeah. I still watched the whole thing. I'm like, everyone said this is what this is. And it is that. And I just <laughs> but I'm gonna finish it. I feel like I've watched five of these movies. I gotta watch six. I've watched a ton of movies lately, and I also got on Letterboxd, which is like the social media. I'm on that movie. too. We should follow each other. We should. It's <laughs> funny that we're not. Maybe we never should. Um, <laughs> I mean, I it's, I joined like a month ago. Like it hasn't yeah. been too long. But um, some of my reviews are very funny. I had a long stretch of just some of my reviews, reviews are very funny. Is that what you? What are you, Dan yeah. Black? Yeah, a lot of my for a while, all my reviews were positive, and they all just ended with "I like watching movies." Oh yeah, that is funny. <laughs> Um, um and but now I do have some negative ones in there. I'm still figuring out my letterbox style. Is it gonna be brief and you know terse or is it gonna be am I really gonna get into it? But um 
Uh, it's funny when a movie comes out and everybody hates it. Like Pinocchio came out and it's all just like half star, one star reviews. Yeah. For, and it's, I don't know, hilarious sometimes just to see that. Uh, it, I, we should wrap this up, but I'm just going to say this anyway. Do you know the show Toast of London or Toast of Hollywood? Yeah, I've, I've not seen it, but I know it. Yeah. I watched the pilot of Toast of London. Uh, I haven't seen the Toast of Hollywood one and it stars uh, Matt uh, Barry um, of, uh, you know, what we did in the shadows and, uh, what's God? What's the name of his horror show? Oh, uh, dark, dark. Yes, side? yes. Not dark side. Dark Menge, Men- Garth Merengue's Dark Place. Dark Place. Uh, so anyway, he, one of the funniest people ever, and um, he's he's a pompous actor. It's a very surreal show. It's extremely British, in that like every character's name. Hello, I'm Henry Bedpost, and this is my friend the Jeans or whatever. But like he plays a very pompous actor who's full of himself, but is regarded as terrible by everybody. And when his in the pilot, a play of his debuts and there's a review in the newspaper with his photo. And the headline is, you know, Stephen Toast's new play, worst play ever, question mark. <laughs> and somehow it just really made me laugh. He kind of looks at it and goes, hmm. <laughs> And it really got me good. And there are times on Letterboxd where it looks like a movie is getting the reaction of worst movie ever. And gosh, I think that's funny when that happens. I don't know. I really, I really enjoy it. But um, 3000 years of longing <laughs> is not like that. Uh, and if anybody, anybody listening watches 3000 years of longing, let me know. Let Email screw it comics and let me know, especially if you're a Sandman fan. Okay. That's what, that's my piece. Uh, keep the spoilers light because I'm the one who reads those emails. Uh, and, okay. Uh, I, I don't know when I'll get around to seeing it whenever it starts streaming somewhere. Um, and come back next week. I think we might have an interview next week or we'll be finishing up meetings and mailbags. We're losing track. But yeah, we got a, good, a big interview coming up that we're excited well, about. We should have an interview. That doesn't, that, there's always a chance that that doesn't happen, right? Yes. We have plans for a big interview. That's why I'm keeping it vague. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and we're almost ready to announce our next season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so see you next episode, everybody. Bye, bye. Screw it, screw it. We're just gonna talk about comics. comics.